Most fans of true crime would love the chance to experience catching a killer. This is where Hunt a Killer comes in. This is the best way to get in the shoes of a real detective and feel like you're solving an actual real-life murder. I'm absolutely addicted to Hack. I've been subscribed to their six-episode season since they were a thing and have played all but one of their standalone games. My office is filled with documents and evidence from their cases, and there's nothing like filing away when you've solved and closed the case. If you'd like to get your hands on one of their standalone cases, use our code SIRENS at checkout on their website, www.huntakiller.com. And hey, every episode helps fund the Cold Case Foundation, a nonprofit that assists in bringing justice to unsolved cases throughout the country. You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. Hello, Killerinis. Raven here, and uh, this is our holiday special volume four that uh, we're doing for Valentine's Day. And I know that um, at this, well, this is an early uh, season three release. Our season three doesn't officially start until around mid-April. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that you're going to be hearing a lot of new voices this season, like a lot of new voices. That is because I think we told you in the last episode we released that um, my regular co-host from the last two seasons is pulling back. She's going to take care of more stuff uh, outside of the podcast. So that being said, um, I am just bringing on a lot of new voices, seeing how you like that. I've got a lot of pros in their field coming on, something to look forward to. We've got um, Professor Mandy McNeely. She's with us for our Ether Man She's going to talk to us about the Osage murders. She actually teaches that. So we're going to let her take the reins on that one. I've got a uh, prosecutor coming on to talk to us about McGirt. I've got a sane nurse or a forensic nurse coming on at one point. Uh, But we're kind of... I'm I'm doing things different this year. Usually we do this... um, six days to air thing like South Park. That is a fact. (laughs) And I would record the episode and then literally have a week to like edit and and do all this stuff and then get it out. Uh, I didn't want to do that anymore (laughs) because it's very stressful. So what we're doing this season is I'm just recording all of the episodes and they can, they're literally in any order that I can get my guests here. So I'm, you're you're hearing episodes where I'm probably referring to another um, episode in in season three, and so I'm sorry for that. You're probably not you're not going to hear that for a while, but we've got a lot of new voices for you to sink your teeth into. I have one with me today. I'm going to start bringing on a little more often. 
It is my husband. Hello. <laughs> this is Rick Rollins. He is a paramedic here in the Tulsa area. Tell That's us about yourself. I am your husband. <laughs> yes. We so know that's that. it, really. We, we no. know that. Uh, I've been a paramedic for six years. Is it? Oh my God. No, it's been nine it's been, years. No. It's been nine years that I've been a first responder. Yeah. What? Started as a firefighter. <gasps> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Started yeah, yeah. as a firefighter, and then I was an EMT, and now I'm a paramedic. Yeah. Feels good. Let me tell you. We've been together for 10 years. <laughs> good save. That was good. How long have we been together? You, you're the one that did that. No, you did it. Uh, How many years? Since 2011. So don't pull 12, that out. Don't pull. You tell me how many years. Twelve years. You count the minutes. I ca- I'm not good at math. You're not. I'm really not. You're not. It's, it's twelve years though, right? Right. <laughs> it's been eleven years. Anyway, and then uh, 2011 to today. Married. It'll be our our ten year marriage anniversary this year. But anyway, so I thought I would bring on my husband. It's me. For this Valentine's Day. The man behind the hero. Yeah. Which, uh, there's really nothing super romantic about this, the cases we're going to talk about today, so. I feel romantic on a regular basis, (laughs) so that applies. I mean, uh, I I really only picked these cases because uh, one of them, one of them is Valentine themed. It did happen at Valentine's Day. The other happened a couple weeks before Valentine's Day, and I guess that's all it takes to qualify for a holiday well, special. Well, both of these uh, stories are remiss relationships. They I are. Think. Yeah, they are. Um, they took a turn. They took a turn. They uh, they do involve entire families. So, disclaimer, if you're not okay listening to... Uh, Multiple murders. Listening to something that involves children. Uh, You should probably skip this one. Can I ask you a question, though? Yeah. How many of your listeners do you think were like, I want to listen to a murder, but not a bad one? (laughs) I bet that's a low number. I bet two people just signed off. And everybody else was like, no, it's a murder podcast. Like, I'm in. What do you think I'm doing here, lady? (laughs) I mean, when you put it like that. Uh, Nobody was like, oh my god, murders? <laughs> I'm I just subscribed saying. to murders? <laughs> I'm just, forewarning, I feel like I need to There's get a... There's a murder in this. There's... A bunch of murders. A bunch of murder. More this. than two murders. There is more than two murders. Actually... <gasps> Wait, there, would it be there are more than two murders? Grammatic. There are more. There is more. There are. are. You know what? There's a bunch of murders. Someone's out there yelling about it, but I'm I'm sorry about that. Listen, folks, that's what the comments are for. Actually, um, what comments? (laughs) Where where do those go? Is it like (laughs) we don't have those? Oh, we don't have those. (laughs) No. Well, then shut up. (laughs) We don't have those. Everybody, just shut up. Uh, I will say we are going to be talking about. Families. What is that called? Familicide. 
Uh, I know that the technical term for what we're talking about today is family annihilation. That's what we're talking there about. There it is. That's so. So if you're not cool with that, if you're not cool, then skip back one. Uh, if if you're listening to this in the future, skip forward one. Um, and and that's the thing too is that uh, so the season doesn't technically begin begin until mid-April where we're going to start releasing like one a week like we usually do. I'm just dropping these um, here and there to keep you content <laughs> out there so uh, so you don't forget about us, I guess. But I don't um, think they will. You're pretty unforgettable. Uh, we do have a lot of listens. Um, a lot of listens. We're up to s- over 70,000 streams and downloads right now so. well i can tell you this that's it's pretty crazy it's good to be here long time listener first time caller <coughs> been listening to the you're show not calling you're sitting in the studio which is in our house that we both live in <laughs> it's good to be here you know it's good to get out come down <laughs> so what they want to know is murders who are you in the real world in the real world i am a 911 system paramedic so when you call 911, the call goes to the dispatcher. They find the closest truck to your emergency, and if it's me, I go. No matter what it is. I have no idea what's coming over that computer. I have no idea what's coming over that radio. I have no idea what I'm walking into. And I do it every day. And, and this is... All day. It's high volume, um, a oh, high yeah. volume system that you work in. It's not like you ha- are at a station house for 24 hours. Truck never parks. Right. It's always, it's go, go, go. Yep. From Um, the minute the shift starts until you clock out and go home, that truck is moving. So you have, uh, you have, you, you've you've got your certification in paramedicine. That's correct. Um, what other on the job training do you have? Oh, ropes rescue certified. So what is ropes? Because I heard you telling me about that. Uh, ropes rescue certified just means that I'm qualified to, uh, use a rope. Is that really to rescue? Is that really what? No, that means? it's not. That okay. It's not that simple. There's a bunch of dudes right now that are ropes certainly just losing <laughs> their minds about that. So you can't just all right. So say somebody goes in the river, but it's it's R O P E S. Like what are they called? Ac- acronyms? No, it's those? not an acronym. It's just ropes. It's just ropes. Yeah, like an actual rope. That yeah. You, oh, okay. That part is right. like a rope. Oh, okay. It doesn't okay. stand for anything. <laughs> stands for rope uh okay so say for example your uh one of your one of your stories that you're talking about one of my murder stories let's say in one of your murder stories uh <laughs> some lady drives her car off into the river all right okay so she's in the river and the car is filling with water and she can't get out and the current is too swift so if she does open the doors she's gonna shoot down the river and be gone dead is the term <laughs> that we what, use in the kind business. What story are you telling me? I'm just telling you. This is the kind of thing that happens. All right, so enter the rope certified. There is a... We do have a very large river here. So. There's a big one. Uh, the Arkansas goes right through the middle. Not just any guy can tie a rope around a tree, tie it on your waist, and go down there and get the lady out of the car. Why? Well, because now there's two people in the water that don't know what they're doing. Okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, check us out. So you, it's a, a ropes rescue team uh, involves multiple people who have multiple jobs, 
the least important of which is the dude who grabs the lady. And so what you know? what else what 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 other certifications? I'm also critically care certified. So okay. critical care means that uh, once a patient in an emergency situation has been stabilized and we determine that they need to be transported from one place to another place for specialty care, like let's say, for example, something very, very bad happens to you traumatically and in the field or in a, uh, let's just say, a less capable hospital, you are stabilized, but you still need better care. There is a great chance that your condition will worsen really fast. Yeah. <laughs> so if they put you in another vehicle or another mode of transportation to go to the hospital, they need a critical care paramedic there with you. We have uh, specializations in managing the difference between medicines that are administered only in the hospital and medicines that are administered in the field. Okay. And we specialize in maintaining airways and heartbeats. That's it. Is it the critical care team? That get- I mean, there's a lot more to it, but yeah. Is it, it the critical care team? team that has the cool job of like um picking up uh transplants and stuff from the and like you know like man this is gonna bum you out because <laughs> i could tell how excited you were to ask me that <laughs> <laughs> man i'm about to no crush your just soul. anyone can do literally it literally <laughs> any person can drive a dead liver across the state okay. or they do not care and you have to be real careful about what you can, what you say. I will just when say, it comes to HIPAA and the patients that you, you have. have to be very careful. You cannot, you cannot. HIPAA is a, a very specific law, so that's why a lot of the research that you run into on a lot of these podcasts, especially with independent contractors like yourself, you'll go in to look at some certain medical files, and they may be sealed. Mm-hmm. And that's HIPAA. That is its way of uh, the Health Information Act is keeping people anonymous. I'm Nicholas Cage from Bringing Out the Dead. That's it. That's the best you get out of him. I've also worked with the uh, special operations team. Uh, work closely with the fire department. I have special privileges. ops is SWAT. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's well, we don't say SWAT anymore. We That's... don't say SWAT anymore. <laughs> oh man! Don't roll your eyes on me. All right. Well, but we don't. It's super aggressive, so we don't say SWAT. We say special operations team. I've worked closely with those guys. Worked closely with the police department and the fire department. I have privileges at every single hospital in the city of Tulsa. So you do have a vest. It's got I a do, bul- bulletproof I do vest, y'all. Wear a bulletproof vest. Yeah, because Tulsa be crazy. So the reason why um, we are telling you about. Uh, what he does is because I'm going to have him on multiple episodes from here on out. And, so there you go. Yeah, and I just wanted to let you guys know what his expertise is so we don't have to do it every single time. And now you know that Rick Rollins has no <laughs> business being here. <laughs> um, you can also hear him on our season finale of season three where we will talk about Dr. Death. Pretty excited about that one. That was going to be a fun one. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so today we're gonna we're gonna talk about two cases. Who we talking about first? Um. Well, so we were gonna, we I I was only gonna do the one, and then the other one was on my list for the twenty minute missing and murdered, and I thought I'd lump it in here because uh, the details are so similar. They are very similar cases, and they happened like 20 years apart which is the crazy part in the same place it it happened up here in in northern oklahoma and um one the first one that we're going to talk about did happen in tulsa oklahoma um and that is the case of edwin bell 
And so we are going to start by talking about his ex-girlfriend, Marquita King. And uh, this goes back to 1999. That was almost that was twenty three years it, ago. It was it was a while ago. You say ninety nine though, like it was yesterday. Well, because I feel like it was yesterday because I'm a nineties kid. <laughs> I also every time someone says ninety nine, I go, oh, that was a couple of years ago. That was it like was four years ago. Yeah, years. Ago. I, I know. So I know. I know. So yeah. So we're gonna talk about um, Marquita King. She was twenty two years old in nineteen ninety nine. She had just moved from Oklahoma City to Tulsa in with her aunt. She had uh, three kids and moved them all in with her aunt to get away from her ex-boyfriend, Edwin Bell. They had been together since late teenhood. Is, Is that a word? Teenhood? I would just say since they were teenagers. (laughs) Since they were teenagers. But also, if she was 22 and it was late teens, then, you know, four or five years. Well, I want to say that at least she was like 16 or 17 since they've been together. Um, I I do not know um, if they had gone to school together or where they met or anything like that. I do know that it was a very hot and cold relationship off and on. and Started um, when they were younger. Yeah, and uh, she had, well, at least to her family, multiple reports of abuse from him towards her domestic violence. Sure. Um, Any police reports from that time? Well, see, that's the thing. I I could not find any police reports about it. Okay, so we're getting this info from family so it said she well, had reported it just over and over and over and but over. also it was 1999 and i'm not exactly sure you know yeah you're right i'm not exactly sure if you had to file an actual police report even if they were called out on a domestic violence call i don't think they always filed a report they may not have they may uh, not especially have. if there was no injuries or anything like that so I can tell you with absolute certainty that if the officers now come out to a domestic and there's no injury they just tell you that it's not their job to get involved yeah. in your argument and yeah. they leave so there right. probably wasn't and and I I do want to put out there that you can always file a report no matter what that is I true. mean no matter what even if the even if the officer says I don't think that's necessary you can say well I want you to take one anyway and they'll take one I mean and that's used a lot in establishing patterns of behavior and stuff like that now um, it's but, very important if you speak to an officer yeah. now about any incident where you believe that the behavior could escalate that you file a report even if you don't think it could escalate if it gets loud enough that the cops show up yeah. make the cops write it down that is just to keep you safe. That is to keep a record. So we won't do what we're doing right now, where I'm saying, where are the records? And she's going, they don't have any. Yeah, she didn't follow yeah. them, or the police didn't follow them, or whatever. Yeah, and so I, I don't, I couldn't tell you if or when or how many times the cops have been called out on them. According to the family, they had at least once. At least once. But also... She, they had gone to court. I did see in the the court files that there was a paternity case between them to establish paternity, but that also gave him legal rights to the kids. And so, so the paternity test was positive. The it, yes, it, and and Oof. in in that same instance, 
I mean, if you're trying to figure out how to keep him away or try to get a um, protective order or something like that, well, now he has his rights to the children. And so... That makes things very difficult. A lot of times, I will say, and, and this is very common today as well, but a lot of times now, when something like that happens and you need to stay away from your spouse or ex-spouse or, or ex-partner, whatever, there are ways to legally set up exchanges to where um, like you can exchange at DHS or even, even the McDonald's. I know like a lot of people that just exchange at the McDonald's. But if you want to exchange it like the police department, wherever you decide, there are ways to have like DHS workers or whatever there so that you don't have to see that person. You go in, you let them take the kids out to him. He leaves. But again, a lot of that legal stuff probably um, didn't exist in 1999. Well, it did exist. It did? It did. Oh, look at that. It did because, um, well... Because uh, my my parents had it set up like that. My bio dad and my mom, um, we were exchanged at the Women's Violence Center or something like that. But I will say it, it, it at least did take a lot of legalities, a lot of lawyer's fees to do stuff like that back then. Well, least. I can tell you that in the city of Tulsa, everywhere that you see the yellow diamond safe place is one of those places. I've often, I've wondered what that was. There is a well, they do a lot of things actually, but the uh the yellow diamond safe place is a uh you can bring uh any but any safety issue and those are at uh well, everywhere you see them, I mean, you'll see those at McDonald's, like you said. You'll see them at Quick Trip, which if you're from the city of Tulsa, there's a Quick Trip every mile. If you drive a mile in one direction, you don't see one. Drive another mile in the other direction, you'll pass one. There are so many Quick Trips in Tulsa. There's a million different places. Churches have those signs. Post offices have those signs. Fire stations have those signs. And they have that because it's a, it's a public place. They do have cameras. A public, monitored, yeah. safe place and they have these little forms where yeah. you can fill out and you can just come up and you say hey listen i need a safe place just for a minute i'm being chased i'm being followed i'm right. being stalked i i don't have anywhere for my kids for the night what, whatever your issue is you can come to that safe place and tell someone and they have a form they fill out they have resources they can give to you that's good to know i don't know if if our listeners are in a city that has something like that set up, but take a look around. If you have quick trips in your area, uh, you might have safe places in your area. So, yeah, so I don't know if um, she just maybe didn't have the ability to pay for an attorney extensively to get stuff set up. Probably for not. Her, for her protection this Because way. you were talking about the, uh, she moved in with her she, mom, right? Yes, so. and, and the thing about it too was that before she moved out of there, just a couple months prior, um, she was living with him and they were living with his mother. So in, in her home. So it doesn't seem like, um, maybe they quite had their feet underneath them. Probably didn't, probably didn't have the money for something like that. And a lot of these couples that you see in these domestic situations, they don't, Yeah, they don't have the resources, they don't have funds, they don't know where to get them. And this is why a lot of women stay with, with, um, men too that they probably shouldn't be with because they don't think they have the resources to get out um but 
Anyway, so she had moved her and her three kids from Oklahoma City to Tulsa in with her aunt. It was just a small apartment, too, but she was just staying there for a while. Her aunt's name was Fanny, Fanny King. Well, that's precious. I know, I know. Why don't I have an Aunt Fanny? (laughs) But I need one, I right? Need an, I need an Aunt Fanny. I need an Aunt Fanny. I'm going to need an, an Auntie just, Fanny. Just tell me I'm handsome and feed me, you know? <laughs> Basically all the stuff you do. Uh, all right. Just, so are you going to start calling me Fanny now? I, <laughs> I'm not saying I won't, <laughs> but maybe we just try it on. I don't think so. All I right. don't think so. Well, then we need another one. So also, I'm, I do want to mention... Uh, that so along with the prolonged domestic violence, um, Bell also had a lot of run-ins with the authorities just on his own. Uh, because back in October 1994, um, there was there was an accident and a quote accident. He did the air quotes. I like that. <laughs> we use those on the ambulance too. <laughs> Yeah. He accidentally yeah. got this Coke bottle yeah. Yeah. stuck. <laughs> I don't know how that got there. Yeah. Yeah. So air, um, quotes, air quotes are a big part of the yeah. big part of the <laughs> service industry. It's a big part of it. So there was an accident and uh Marquita had ended up getting shot in the leg. Did you say accidentally... <laughs> accidentally shot. She he was, accidentally shot her. He accidentally shot her. Quote, quote accidentally shot her. Oh, I don't know if I... The police came out and apparently did very little investigation. <laughs> but let, let me ask you a question. How long do you have to be dating someone before the relationship isn't instantly over when you shoot me when you accidentally <laughs> shoot them a year i mean that seems like a five-year thing i mean let's just pretend like it was an no, it's accident not. it's a no-year thing it doesn't matter if you shoot me in the leg we're breaking up okay but but let's just pretend like this wasn't on purpose okay so we're we're the air quotes are gone he did accidentally he shoot did her. accidentally shoot her okay okay there are also teens at this time. He for sure did not, by the way. He shot her on purpose. But keep going. That's fine. If she was 22 in 99, then how old is she in 94? She's just 16 or 17, what? And so... You are very bad. I know. I told that. you that. You're very bad I told you that. You know that. 17 would be the correct answer. Okay. 17 at the time. Sure. And he's a year older than her. So 17, 18 years old. So is this a kids playing with guns kind of scenario? If my daughter gets shot in the leg at 17... I'm telling you, right? That's unacceptable. I'm, yeah. Yeah. All right. So we do have a report of this shooting? Uh, there, I... Okay. And the so, police also seem to believe it was accidental, they, correct? Yes. They dubbed it as accidental. They confiscated the weapon. So they confiscated the gun, they and com- they were like, all right, it was an accident. They confiscated the gun. He did not mean to shoot her in the leg. No charges were filed. Can I ask a question? Do he they, wasn't arrested. Do they have kids at this point, at this juncture, no, with the uh, accident, accidental shooting that happened? How old are the kiddos? You look. No, because their oldest in 99 oh, was four. Just break up with them. You don't have a kid with them. He just but shot you know what? In the leg. Hold on, though. 
If their oldest in 99 was four, 98, 97, 96, 95. You they, are so bad. She at had a kid with him a year later. <laughs> so I wonder if she was pregnant at the time. Oh, preggers at the time. I wonder. All right, that explains it. Okay, listen, that changes the game, especially in the 90s. I could see why she wouldn't leave. Well, I can yeah. see it. I yeah. mean, I'm not saying it's right. Yeah. Whether he knew it, it or right not, call, maybe she I knew. Get it. Yeah. Now, if they were just dating and she wasn't knocked up or whatever, and then he shoots yeah. her in the leg and she's like, oh, baby, <laughs> you're so crazy. And they stay together for five more years. That's nonsense. You're so wild. <laughs> We have so much fun together. You yeah. guys don't even know. He shot me right in the leg one time. Yeah. I mean, I get it. Uh, well, and and here's the thing. So, so. And this is Oklahoma, too. That's a good bonfire story if you're a happy couple. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then uh, in 97, he gets a record all of his own. Oh. Um, he was arrested on a slew of complaints in Midwest City on April 6th, 1997. The complaints included assault and battery carrying a gun, which he seems to like, um, and carrying a knife, driving under the influence, trespassing, and carrying an open container of alcohol. 21 when... <laughs> he's laughing at me because I'm you counting with my fingers. Counting on your fingers is the most <laughs> precious thing I've ever seen. You're surrounded by digital equipment, by the way. I know. You, I know that. You could have made so many notes about like... This is what see. I was saying about being a 90s kid. I still count on my fingers. And if there's not enough fingers, not then because, I'm done counting. No, that don't yes, you. You no. do not blame that on the 1990s. <laughs> you blame that on you. You didn't study your math. <laughs> I hate 100%. math so much. I hate it. I right. hate it. You I know. Listen, I know. You don't have to be smart. You're pretty. I am smart. <laughs> Just not a bad. That's what drives me nuts about it is that you're like the smartest person I know. And you're over here. 99, 98. It's killing me. I'm losing Sorry. it. All right. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. All right. The DUI charge was reduced to reckless driving. Okay. Whatever public defender representation was yeah. there with him that yeah, day. Probably. And he comes up and says, Your Honor, he's never been arrested for DUI before. Yeah. He's promised not to drink and drive. We're going to turn it around. Well, this yeah. Is it. Yeah, it was his first DUI. See, so. and that's the kind of thing. Now, if he got pulled over again, that's going to yeah. be a felonious activity. And so, they're going to lock him up. He did only pay a $200 fine for that one. Uh, and then the assault charge was also reduced to disorderly conduct. $272 fine for that one. To be fair, assaulting someone is technically disorderly. Well, it is. But it it is much more felonious. Way more than that. (laughs) Also, I would like to point out here that we're seeing a lot of these. uh, He's starting to develop some patterns. Yeah, well, not even that. uh, Not even that it's a pattern of of an escalation of activity. Yeah. But what I'm noticing is uh, a pattern of his uh, charm. I would say his charisma. Yeah, getting to out get, of shit to get out of this yeah. so many times. You know, what I mean? I'm seeing a lot of that, yeah. and and this dude is manipulative. He is shady, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's getting his way. Mm-hmm. I think that is not only a failure of, you know, not obviously on his part. He's a massive yeah. pile of crap, and I yeah. don't even know the story. I'm just learning this now. But it's it's it also seems to be a failure of the system. So all of the other complaints that I just mentioned were completely dismissed. And that's not unheard of for, like like you said, like a first-time offender. That's not unheard of. Um, and that's fine. That's fine. Actually, just, can we just rack them up here? Can we just think about it for a second? All right, so the shot her in the leg. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so that's one. Uh-huh. All right? Yeah. DUI, that's two. Uh-huh. Assault with a weapon. Were those lumped together? Is that the well, same event? Was no. he like trying to knock over a quickie mart or something? No, they did not charge him with assault with a deadly weapon. They charged him with assault. I guess he was fighting someone, and he just happened to have a gun on him and a knife on him when the the cops showed up. He so, wasn't he wasn't like waving it around, like so those pointing just it like, at anyone. You no, know, he wasn't yeah, menacing no, or anything no, like that. No. Okay, but my point is, but he did have them on him. If they had not knocked those down. If every one of those would if, have been full punishment, then the third one he'd have been gone. Well, okay. If they would have found that the shooting of Marquita was not accidental, then this would have been his second instance and he would have gotten at least a year of jail time. That's at least. what I mean. Yeah. That's there's your failure of the system right there. Um, the leniency of yeah. those crimes, which are red flag domestic yeah. crimes. Yeah, and so since the first one was accidental and all of these these others got knocked down to basically uh, suspended probation, whatever, um they were a first offense, technically. So and I didn't find anything on his record after that. So, I mean, I he didn't do anything else. I guess that was the one thing he he needed to be to realize. Like, I shouldn't do shit in public or whatever. Like, maybe he I got to keep uh, it under wraps yeah, now. And, well, uh, what do you what do you call that? And what did you say when when they're when they're evolving? They're getting smarter. Um, they're getting, yeah, they're yeah. getting better at this. They get, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if we had stopped yeah. him before, yeah. I keep saying we, I wasn't there. But if <laughs> if they had stopped him before. Well, I just think that sometimes you get a cop or you get a judge who has had a very long fucking day. I get it. And... And they just don't have time for it. They don't ask the questions that they should. They don't see the red flags that they should. And a lot of that has to do with being, like, the the system just being so fucking overworked. But Oh, that is true. Unfortunately, that is very true. But, I mean, um, you, you really can't pinpoint one place where you can say, this is where it went wrong. You know what I mean? Like no, it's, no, you can't. So. I'm, uh, I'm just, I just noticed from where I'm sitting that. I see three instances where a young man could have got slapped with a felony yeah. at any time. Well, and I, and I will say, too, that before that, um, she had talked to her family. She had a brother named Maurice. Um, and uh, she had a, a, quite a big family. But anyway, she had talked to a lot of them about what was going on between her and Belle and um, had told them, like of his abuse and the violence and stuff like that, they had suggested to her way, way before that she needed to go get a protective order. It's my understanding that she did not get a protective order because he had a right to see his kids. And of course she was the one that the kids lived with. A lot of of, uh, misconceptions about that. About what the protective order? Well, no, just about that scenario. You'll oh, right, you'll right. see domestic couples now that think that because he has a custody order, 
that he, it prevents you, you from having. No, that is not true. Yeah, yeah, and it's not you the can case. Absolutely, get a protective order. Yeah, like like we were, and the, and you can get a protective order on you and your minor children at the that, same time. That is true. Now I understand her thinking in the way of, well, he's their father, and the kids deserve to have a father. I mean, up to this point, there there was no, from what I understand, there was no abuse towards the children at this point. But that's, it's an evolution. The more they can get away with, the more they will get away with. Well, we're sitting here talking about it because it evolved. So, Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can still get a protective order. You absolutely can. Does a protective order always work? Hmm. No, and there are some people, even the people that work in my field, that will tell yeah. you that a protective order is just a piece of paper. It, it is just a piece of paper. It is just now, a piece of paper. it is more likely when you call on a domestic to say, well, I have a protective order, and then they go, oh, okay, well, this that's an established already. That, that's been established, so we should probably get over there and see what's going on. It, it is. And the other thing that I notice in my field, we go out to domestic salts pretty frequently. We get them quite a bit. You show up, and usually the police department has already secured the scene. They're pretty good about that here. Actually, they're really good about that here. They uh, secure the yard, they secure the home, and then they separate the two individuals in the middle of the domestic. Every single time, you'll hear an officer say, do you have a protective order against her? Do you have a protective order against him? The reason they ask that question, and they ask it so fast, is because the rest of this does not matter if you have one. Right. No matter what. You got a protective order against him. This is your house. Bet. Cuff him. Yeah. We're done. Yeah. And then they'll put him in the cop car while we finish the rest of our conversation. See just how much is going on top of that. Exactly. Yeah. And that is a strong motivator. It really is. Just get the order, ladies. Just get listen to my voice. Well, and get the order. Yes, and we're also listen. We're also living in a time where being an abuser now affects the rest of your life. That is true. Back in 1999, people didn't really give a shit if you abused your family. It was very rumor-esque. Like, it wouldn't affect your job. No. In fact, most people probably wouldn't ask you about it because most domestic assaults are misdemeanors. Yeah. And all of those uh, application questions say, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Right, right, right. And so exactly. they're going to leave it off and yeah. you're never going to know about it. Which, now it's different. Now it's very aggressive. First of all, the applications say misdemeanor or felony. They want to know if you've ever talked to the cops. Well, and, and I think, what was it, last year, year before last, they did up one of the domestic violence charges to a felony. I think it was um, the strangulation one. I want to say that was it. She did not at the time have a protective order. Um, and she lo- she did look into, from what I understand, she looked into getting one once she moved to Tulsa. And she talked to the police about it. And the police told her that distance would, quote, probably be enough. So I don't want to defend that, but I do want... <clears throat> I do want to explain that. Okay. Um, Again, the police department has a clear job. Now, if you are having repeated arguments, not domestic assaults, he's not punching you in the face, you're not hitting him with a skillet, that kind of thing. 
Which but maybe you should be. Maybe you should. Uh, <laughs> maybe you should hit him with skills. Um, but if it, if it hasn't become violent, if an injury or, uh, or 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 another event hasn't occurred, but you're just yelling in the yard, yeah. And this is the you 25th haven't gone to the hospital time. for it. Yeah, exactly. Which, which I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, if she not, had or a hadn't. Of, a lot of people don't go to the hospital for that kind of thing. Well, well the, nine times out of ten. Well, I mean, you remember yeah. the lady I told you about that uh, got hit with the garden rake? Yeah, yeah. She got hit in the face. Yeah. And she was like, "No, I'm good." I was like, "You are not." Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. A lot of people think that if you go to the hospital for your injuries, you're going to have to press charges, and that's not necessarily true. But I mean, it's also a money thing. They say, yeah, it, really yeah, it is. The yeah. Room, that kind of thing. And that yeah. happens a lot. And I always tell them, I don't worry yeah. about that. I'll take you to the emergency room. Doesn't matter to me one bit. I just want to make sure you're okay. And then they still say, yeah. I don't want to go. Well, and I mean, I don't know if she had ever gone to the hospital for any abuse because HIPAA. <laughs> so that's true, too. So I don't know. I, I didn't see any reports from family or anything like that that said he had her in the hospital or anything like that so other than that other than the word of people around her like you can't go digging in her medical files you so. can't even if you wanted to even if you wanted to even if you knew exactly where they were they wouldn't give it to you yeah. but the other part that makes it good police work is that maybe i don't know it wasn't there it's not my call and i'm no armchair quarterback but if you Wait, I guess technically I am an armchair quarterback. I'm literally... <laughs> You're literally doing it. <laughs> in an armchair. All right. Um, what I mean is that if he if he knows he doesn't have anything to put bracelets on this kid, and he's been here 20, 30 yeah. times, just you yeah. guys screaming at each other in the yard, and, and you'd be surprised how many times you show up, and they're not even, you know, it's a good argument, but it's not escalated to a, to 11 she's not throwing stuff at him but they're literally 30 feet apart from each other screaming yeah that is not a crime no. you can yell no. yeah. anytime you can yell whenever you want you can yeah. yell at the bank they'll probably kick you out <laughs> you can yell at the grocery store you can yell at the hair salon you could just start screaming anytime you want not illegal it's not illegal <laughs> yeah. so yeah. the cops will show up and they'll say all right look i should not know your birthday Right. I know your birthday by heart. I shouldn't. Yeah. That's bad. Right? Yeah. Uh, and he probably told Marquita, he's like, hey, listen, just go. Yeah. Just leave him. And then all this is done. Yeah. Yeah. And so, not like I said, not to defend him, but I've been in the yard where that cop has been talking to that lady. And I've had that patient that has been domestic 15 times. And you know her first and last name. You know her full medical history. Mm-hmm. You know his first and last name. They both beat each other up a dozen times. Why am I coming back here? Mm-mm. What am I doing in your yard, man? So let's go to the day of the incident, February 12th, 1999. The children were supposed to go and stay with Bill for two weeks. With with Edward? Edward? Uh, and, he was, okay. and he was still living with his mother. Was this a court-ordered... Uh, I don't... I don't know. Visitation. I I do know that he did have some sort of court. They had worked it out in in some way, but I don't know if this was part of it. I meant official. That's what I should have said. Was it official? I'm just going to go out on on a limb here and say that this was not probably in the court documents. And let's be honest, she hasn't done anything else by the book. He hasn't done no. anything else by the book this whole time. No. Why would this be? Yeah, so he he probably just he probably called her and said, "Hey, I want the kids." 
can I come stay with me for a couple of weeks? And she probably said, yeah, I mean, and they did have it worked out because he was, he was still living with his mother, Linda Ferris. I wanted it to be better than Fanny. That's just (laughs) me. She was only 45. So Linda, Linda. But anyway, um, so he was, he was still living with his mother, Linda. And so she, I'm going to assume she didn't feel so bad about sending the kids with him because technically it was grandma's house. Sure. And so, um, so that morning, Bell and his mother, Linda, loaded up in the car and headed to from Oklahoma City to Tulsa to go pick up the kids. So Marquita was preparing her children, Ebony, who was four, Essence, who was two, and Marjona, who was eight months old. Four, two. Four, two, and eight months. And eight months. Yes. Yeah, I know. The night before, Ebony was combing the girls' hair and getting their bags ready, and they were supposed to stay with them for two weeks, so they were... That night, um, Fanny was helping Ebony, and she had a little friend over, and they were making Valentine's Day stuff and, you know, doing cute Being little... Cute little girl stuff. Cute little girl stuff. Apparently, um, his dad lived there, too, uh, because... So where's Pops? Well, I don't know... I, I just saw Fanny mention in, in a couple of articles that they were going to go stay with Grandma and Grandpa. So, oh, okay. I don't know. I don't. I don't ever see him mentioned anywhere maybe else. A, but maybe he was at work. I don't know. Maybe but anyway, at the store. Who knows? Uh, Fanny said she left for work um, that morning. The baby, the eight-month-old baby, had been sleeping with her. Uh, so she got up and she told Marquita that she was leaving for work and she needed to go in there and, and get the baby. Okay. She said, I told her goodbye, and that was the last I said to her. That's the last time Fanny knew anything about this. She left for work, assuming that everything was going to go fine. And I feel like if she had reservations about them being somewhat alone together, she probably would have stayed and watched the exchange. So Fanny, from her point of view... She's got no red flags about this. This is well, another day at the office. I'm not going to say that she didn't have any red flags about it, but not enough to stay home. Not, you know, uh, she not knows enough. He's, she knows yeah. he's a mess. Yeah, but yeah. he's not going to. What's he going to do? But I mean, in her mind, I feel like she's going. Well, his mom, Linda, is with him. Like, what could possibly? You know what I mean? No, I like, get There's that. already get a that. supervisor. There's a here. grown up. Yeah, here. there's a grown got up it. here. Yeah. yeah. So, so I. I mean, it's very common to think bad thoughts without thinking the worst. Yeah. And that happens a lot. I see that yeah. a lot. Yeah. So, um, so Bell and his mother, Linda, did arrive around 10 a.m. N- no one knows what happened after that. Like, no one knows what happened during this the exchange. Around 1030, he, got, he gets in the there. In the morning. He gets there at 10 o'clock in the morning. No one knows what happens in this 30-minute exchange because about 10.30, Marquita's sister goes to the apartment to check on the family because she knew that Belle was coming and she did have reservations. And so uh, she tried to call, no one answered, and so she just ended up going over there to check on her. When she came in the, the door, now this is an apartment in North Tulsa. Small spots. They're small um, spots, folks. If you uh, if you think you live in a small apartment, and it's it's just a one story apartment. Our apartment that we lived in was nine hundred square feet. 
if that. I think no, that's I think, being generous. I think actually I think it was eight hundred and fifty square feet. It was small spaces, man. Very small. So you so now there's gonna be Belle, his mother, Marquita, and three kids in this tiny apartment at once. So that's six people in this little space. You remember we could stand in yeah. the where the dining table was? Yeah. We could stand in the kitchen. And see every Everything. single yeah. room yeah. of the apartment. We could see into and see every corner and if, of... If you had four adults room. in that room, it felt super crowded. Oh, not even that. Yeah. Two adults. Two, yeah. yeah. It was just me <laughs> it was, and you. It was pretty crowded. Me and you, and we hated it. So, n- needless to say, when, her, when Marquita's sister walked in the front door, she could see everything. Sure. The first thing she did notice was the eight-month-old baby, motionless on the floor. And this she, was in the living room? This was in the living room. 1030. This, this, all of this happened within 30 minutes. So she immediately turned around and called the police. The police came in. There were also witnesses that heard the gunshots. I don't know how many there were. Well, that's there's no way that's not possible. Yeah. I mean... In an apartment complex, you could hear the dude cooking dinner in the wall across from you. So everybody heard these gunshots. Police said that Bell and his m- mother, Ferris, were sitting on the couch with one of the children. King and the other two children were lying on the living room floor in front of the couch. Like, it, it was presumed that, like, two of them were sitting on the couch, three of them were sitting on the floor... And uh, then they presumed that Bell had done this because it, it looked like he sat down next to them when he was done on the couch and turned the gun on himself. They found the gun next to him. So the body count was six. So I six believe. people, right? I forgot the baby. The three right. kids and then the three adults, okay. including Bell himself. Right. I know that you're probably thinking in your head, like, how did he control six people? This was all done with a nine millimeter. And it all happened, like I said, within 30 minutes. I, It is my opinion that he planned on doing this. He had to have. And that he surprised them with the gun. He had to have. Because there's no other... I mean, granted, you can stand in front of the door. Because there's only one way in and that's, out. That's the other thing I was going to say. You can so stand in front of the door and you can control them that way. But... When the police came in, there was no... They were sitting on the couch. They were sitting on the floor. There was no evidence that anyone had tried to get up and run. And they probably wouldn't have. Remember, they Um, know this guy. Yeah, yeah. They know him. They couldn't necessarily determine who the first victim was, you know, in what order this happened. But it did look like it was a surprise attack. Because no one moved. And the two-hour drive that he drove from Oklahoma City to Tulsa with a 9mm on him. That's a lot of time to plan. I'm just saying. Okay, I can tell you this uh, without releasing any names. I've been on several, multiple homicides. And I've seen the chaotic to the nice, tidy packages like you've got here. Yeah. Um, We have dug through hoarder houses looking for bodies. Oh. It's not great. When they run, they run. Yeah. And that's when you get these chaotic scenes where two or three people get away. One person's been shot several times. There's blood all over the garden everywhere. Which we're going to talk about something like that. The next case is kind of like that. So, But with this one being so clean. Yeah. And so organized. Yeah. So I just want to offer something to you. 
um, in a room that size, if he blitzed as it was, for your listeners to really understand just how quickly you can shoot five people in that small of a fa- uh, space with that low of a margin of error, it would be this fast. You've got a 30-minute window. Yeah. Yeah. It took that much time. Yeah. It's nothing. To turn that gun, there's no telling. Done. There's no telling how long he planned it. And I feel like it really was because it, it, it happened... It happened so fast, and and within that thirty minute time span, he had two hours to think about it on the way up there. He took the gun on the way up there. It would blow my mind if it was unplanned. What kind of human being shoots an eight month old baby? I can help you with that. It's called a pile of human garbage. So the issues that you run into with these previous reports the reason it's so serious is this this is the outcome these scenarios end one of two ways he goes to jail you die there is no middle ladies you can't fix this dude he's broken sorry (laughs) are you okay you good over there i'm just like our kid is 10 months so yeah yeah like the single greatest threat on planet Earth to women is men. Is men. You would think it would be sharks. 100%. It's not. No, it's you not. Think it would be bears? It's not. Not even close. <laughs> Maybe even cows. Nope. Nope. Men. It's men. You know it's what the single men. greatest threat to men is? Heart attack. That's it. It's not even close. <laughs> oh, it's so fucked up. That's what's wrong with the world. This was for sure the pinnacle of how that a, a domestic can get in in at least in Tulsa from 99 until literally this next case we're about to talk about in that happened in 2021 so for 20 years nothing like this had happened had ever happened again it'd probably make everyone listening feel better if the man was in here right now on this podcast and explained himself fully you still wouldn't understand it you're probably not wrong it's never going to make sense why he murdered all these people. Unbelievable. Yeah. To take a family that beautiful yeah. from the world. And it makes me wonder, because there are no survivors to this, so it makes me wonder if he had mentioned something to his mom on the way up or something. There's no way to know. I mean, there's no way to know. Like, did and she know this was coming? I bet he did not. Did she try to talk him out of it? Did at some point it get crazy and he took her hostage like we just we will never, never know. Gonna know you're we'll never, never gonna know all we can do like i said the only thing you do is you just keep marquita you keep these beautiful people yeah alive by preventing what happened to them from happening to anyone else that's the only thing you can do it's hard to say it's hard to blame yourself too i bet there's a lot of that you can't yeah. you cannot blame yeah. yourself there's no I mean, way you could think agree. about poor fanny oh poor fanny she left for work Oh man! And and came home to that. Came, yeah. Or got a phone call and had she to leave got work a, about she this. She got a phone yeah, call at did. work. Yeah, she did. And the self blame in that has to be so 
insanely There's nothing intense. Fanny could have done. There's nothing anybody could have done. This no. guy. And, and the thing about it, Fanny, if you're listening, the thing about it is you might have been a victim too. If you'd have been home, you'd if, be one of them. If That's you'd all have been home. It. This is a man who we would we would classify him in in the act if he had a gun with no bullets in it and then we had to come in and I had to talk to this guy and analyze him. Someone willing to do what he has chosen as the answer yeah. is suffering from psychosis. He cannot yeah. rationalize the real world. He's developed a final solution to a temporary problem. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's no rationalizing that. And it's his problem. All, it ain't nobody else's problem. No it's one else's problem. problem. None of those beautiful babies no. and that beautiful woman deserved to die. Not one of them. No. That man should have been recognized. Like we said earlier, we know he's yeah. manipulative. We know he knew the system. We knew he knew how to play it. Yeah. He knew how to talk to the police when they showed up. He knew how yeah. to talk to the judge when he couldn't talk to the police. These kinds of people are the most dangerous criminal you will ever see. Yeah, and so we're going to talk about another one. Uh, because, as I said, um, in Tulsa, that case was the largest mass killing attributed to one person in recorded Tulsa history. Um, and that was February 1999 and until February 2021. So, Muskogee, they arrest a man named Jaron Pridgen. They charge him with six counts of first-degree murder, a count of assault and battery with a deadly weapon, and possession of firearms after conviction or uh, during probation. So he was on probation when this next incident happened. Pridgen actually had received a deferred sentence in 2019 after being charged with two felony counts for allegedly throwing two large pieces of cement at a woman where he struck her in the torso. And a judge in that case ordered a mental health observation and evaluation, but those results are sealed. Red flag, number one. He was also charged with a felony from car theft in 2017. Okay, so we know... The mental health evaluation <clears throat> is sealed. We don't know the results of that because HIPAA. Obvious. Yeah. Ah, HIPAA. You're killing me. Yeah. Two brothers, Jaron... Bridgen is one of them. I will say that there hasn't been a trial for this yet. There has been an no. arraignment. Yeah. But there hasn't been a trial yet. So, Javarian. Jaron and Javarian Pridgen. So, we got those two guys, and then we got... Um, Javarian was 24. Okay. Brittany Anderson. Miss It was the woman. Brittany Anderson. And they were all living together. They were all young 20s. All living together um, with five children. Okay. Five children and three adults all living together. Those five children are all Britney's. They're all Britney's kids. They're all Britney's kids. Jeez, how do you do it, lady? Javarian and Jaron are both the fathers. Okay, hold on a second. The brothers. <laughs> I do know that Javarian had children with Britney and Jaron had children with Britney. And they were all living together. I suspect there was probably tension uh, if they're both seeing the same woman and living with the same woman. I have not seen anything in any reports. Like, even when they asked Jaron why he did what he did, he has never given any sort of um, reason. Okay, so, so what happened was basically the same thing that happened in the last case. Uh, this time, 
He did not choose to take his own life when he was done. He simply ran from the home. Okay, so we know, we know for a fact that this young man was present when the murders occurred. Yes. And that's what we're waiting on for our trial is to prove that he is actually the one that killed all of them. Correct. This dude was seen leaving the apartment yes. with a firearm. Yeah. Dude. Yeah, and here's the thing, too. Um, you guys know that we have a website. If you can go and you can become a member of the website to gain access to our case files. And I have uploaded some case files from this case, these two, say these two cases, to our case files section. It is free to sign up. It is the sirenspodcast.com slash case files. Just create a login and then you'll have access to it. Okay, so we recorded most of this um, around on actually on the one year anniversary of the Pridgen case. And with that came a lot of media attention. So there has been developments. So we're going to, I'm slipping in here in the middle, some developments. So keep in mind what we talk about in this little section right here is the more recent details than what you will hear later in the episode. I can say one of the details is that, uh, so we have a 911 call. Yes. And it is, I'm going to warn you now, uh, so trigger warning, if you don't think you can listen to this where I am going to play it. And it is fairly decently long. It's like eight and a half minutes. So if you think that you can't handle it, skip on ahead of that. Um, We're going to listen to it. And here's the deal. I did figure out how Brittany was shot. Now, I don't know if she was shot multiple times or just the once, but I do know that she was shot in the head. In the medical field, that's what we call no bueno. Pridgen is the one who called 911 and he handed Brittany the phone. And she is talking to the dispatcher about what is happening. And we're going to listen to the call now. And then we are going to talk about some of the details that we hear and get a medical perspective on what's going on. So again, trigger warning now. Phone number you're calling from? Uh, I don't know it. Um, on my phone, I see 918 871 1736. Does that sound familiar? Hold on one second. Okay. Hello? This is the ambulance service. What's the telephone number? I need an ambulance. Okay, what's the address where you need the ambulance? 
I've got help coming. Just repeat that address to make sure I have it right, okay? Nine zero three. Okay, you said nine zero three Indiana Street. Yes. Okay, tell me exactly what happened. Um. Uh. Anyway, I'm in now. Okay. Well, I've got a lot of help coming to you. Okay. You're going to hear silence for just a second while I get everyone started, but don't hang up. I'll be here. Okay. Mm. Okay, ma'am, are you alone? No. Are you alone? No. Oh, who has? My kids. Alright, you're going to hear silence for one more second, okay? Don't hang up so I can update them. I'm still here with you, okay? How many people are how many people are hurt? I don't know. You don't know? Okay. Help is already on the way, okay? I'm dying, please. Yes, ma'am. They're already on their way to you. The questions won't slow them down at all. They're with me. Okay, well. When, when did this happen? Yeah. Is the assailant still nearby? Can you hear me? Is the attacker still nearby? Yes. Okay. Is there any serious bleeding? I don't know. Okay, that's all right. Again, they're coming as fast as they can, okay? All right. What part of the body was injured? I don't know. Okay, no problem. Is there more than one wound? I don't know. I'm hurting. Okay, they're coming I in fast as they can. I hear. All right. I hear I'm, one baby. All right, well, I'm going to stay on the I line with you. I see you, okay. baby. Okay. I don't hear my other kids. You don't hear your other kids? I've been screaming. How many kids were there? I have eight years. You said eight? Yes. All right. Um, who, what's the name of the person that did this to you? I can't say. You don't know his name? I can't say. Okay. Well, they're coming as fast as they can, okay? Okay. I'm still here with you, okay? Okay. Is, that, is the person still there with you? Ma'am, can you hear me?
Okay. I've got a lot of help coming to you guys, okay? What's your name? Yeah. Okay. No. in the ambulance to help you now. Stay on the line. I'll tell you exactly what to do next. And you want to hear silence for just one more second. They're coming, okay? coming as fast as they can. I'm still here with you if anyone needs anything, okay? How's everyone doing? Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I'm still here. I won't leave you until someone is actually in there with you, okay? Yes. with me? I'm here. Okay, they're coming as fast as they can, okay? And I'm still here. coming as fast as I can. I'm still here with you. Just let me know when there's someone there. What's her name? Hope. What's your mom's name? Hope. Okay. And then what is your name? Remy. You said Remy? Brittany. Brittany, okay. Brittany, what's your last name? Anderson. Anderson, okay. Can you tell me your birthday? 1990. Okay, ma'am, I'm going to let you go now. The officers are going to take care of you, okay? No they're, they're getting ready to call you on the phone. Okay. And, okay, and they're going to call from a private or a blocked number, so make sure you answer, okay? Mm -hmm. I'll let you go so they can call you.
Okay, so the first thing that we want to know is what is your protocol when you get called to something like this? So you prioritize your patients, whether they are emergent or non-emergent. And any penetrating injury of any kind to the head of the trunk is absolutely emergent. So just knowing the mechanism of injury right there, she needs to go right now. She needs medical care right this second. So you you walk in and you survey the room. Well, And you and triage? Kind of, but also here's the other thing. Gunshot wounds can elevate the level of damage no matter where they are. Right. Several delicate arteries go throughout the entire human body. What people assume about gunshots from what they see on television or in movies is it just makes a straight hole. <laughs> through and through, yeah. Through and yeah. through, and, and you're totally fine. We, we actually have talked about this several times on other episodes where depending on what kind of gun it is, what, what caliber it is, what, where you were shot, there are several times that it'll go in and kind of ricochet around or... That's not even the or, worst part. Or stop just, just short of going through. What we worry about, especially when it comes to blood loss. Now, you have a patient on the phone who has an altered mentation, who is slurring her speech, slow to respond, confused. Your yeah. first concern in any traumatic injury is the blood pressure. That's first. Okay. Because if the distal tissues of that person's body are not perfusing because she doesn't have enough blood, they will die. Okay. She will shunt all the blood in a uh, compensated shock maneuver all to the central organs. We got to take care of the important things first, right? We got to keep the heart running, the lungs running, the brain running. Right. So they will shunt everything inward. That causes the blood pressure to drop even more. And if you're losing blood from a hole and it's leaking, then it's way worse because now you've moved everything to the middle and you don't have any reserves to pull from. Okay. The worst part about a gunshot wound is not even the entry and the exit in a straight line, that path that that bullet makes. If, you know, they say, oh, it went right through him and it didn't hit anything important. That's not the issue. The issue is cavitation. Which is? Cavitation is a uh, medical term used to describe the damage to the tissues from the force of the gunshot. From the force the bullet projects outward away from the projectile into the other tissues. If you want a really good representation of this, watch a slow motion video of an apple being shot by a bullet. Okay. The skin of that apple will ripple like water, mm-hmm. and the inside will become applesauce. And why do you only find two or three big pieces of an apple if you shoot it with a twenty-two? The rest right. of the tissue, the force that pushes outward right, from right. that bullet's path of travel, obliterates that apple. Right. It is only slightly worse in a human person. Right. So, let's say you get shot in the thigh. That's what you always see in the movies, right? They just wing him. They shoot him in yeah. the thigh. He, located in the, uh, I guess you would call it the interior medial aspect or the inside of your thigh, okay. is your femoral artery. For an excellent reference on the size of your femoral artery, look at your pinky finger. It is that big around. Ooh. It's roughly the same size as your pinky finger. Okay. And it runs down the inside of your thigh. It is very easy to uh, damage the femoral artery because it's so close to the outside of your leg. Mm -hmm. If you were shot in the thigh, the cavitation 
from that bullet if it travels all the way through without hitting your femur there is virtually no way that your femoral artery is not in danger of being damaged okay at the very least it will tear at the worst it will rip in half now here's the terrible thing about that an arterial bleed if left uncontrolled especially your femoral can dump your entire volume of blood based on how big you are anywhere between five and ten minutes Jeez. Now, we're just talking about a leg, and this young lady was shot in the head. Right. Even if you assume the best, and I know it sounds awful to grade these best and worst case scenarios, but the best case scenario is that the bullet struck her skull and stopped. Like stopped in it? Yes. Okay. Uh, Got stuck in the skull. That's the best case scenario. Okay. Uh, The worst case scenario is it penetrated the uh, actual brain cavity. Right. And then there's a very low chance of recovery. Right. And we, and we probably won't know that because HIPAA. <laughs> um, well, it might be released. It, it might only be released to the jurors. We, we don't know. It might, it, it might not. But here's some things that we can assume just from listening to this 911 video. Uh, she says a couple of things that lead me to believe that she has an increased intracranial pressure. Now, when you get hit in the head, we don't care if it swells out. Right. We like that. Okay. Because it's not going in. We don't like it if it pushes against the brain. Any pressure on the brain at all, if you get punched in the face Mm -hmm. and you get a big goose egg, Mm -hmm. that's what we want. We want it to come out. We don't care if it puts pressure on your skin. We care if it puts pressure on your brain. Right. So when you see an increase in intracranial pressure, that means something has pushed in. And that's never good. Okay. So that can cause you to slur your speech, which we heard. Uh, it was actually so prominent that I picked up on it right when she started yeah, talking. Yeah. I never for one second thought she was high. The yeah. first thing I thought is she's been hit in the head. Okay. Because she is. Well, I mean. You can hear her lips not touching. Yeah. Now, a drunk person still knows all the motions. To talk to you. Right. So you'll hear them, ding, I mean, and they'll draw out their consonants. Yeah. But uh, so a high person will do it better, but they'll do it faster. Yeah. A high person might forget to let their lips touch. A drunk person forgets to pull them apart. Yeah. So you'll hear things like that as you talk to them more. Mm-hmm. However, someone that has a traumatic brain injury is still doing all the normal things, but her lips aren't answering her. Mm-hmm. So when she said, that's when you knew, like, mm-hmm. oh, her lips touched once and yeah. never came back together. Like, that was the end of it. I also noticed that when she was asked a question, she has a very delayed response. Yes. Uh, so, I noticed that as well. She was very slow. Uh, she was almost confused yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But here is the good news, all right? In the good category, we have two things. One, her respiratory rate is elevated. Okay. So that tells me that she uh, is still, we're we're not in a state of decompensated shock. Okay. We're still in a state of compensated shock. When the body suffers trauma, your heart beats faster, you breathe faster, mm-hmm. and your blood pressure goes up. In a state of decompensated shock, which is where I, th- I hate to assume this because I wasn't there, but just based on this 911 call, I would have to assume that she was decompensating by the end of it. Yeah. Her respiratory yeah. rate slowed. You can hear it mm-hmm. at the end. She's going. Whew. Yeah. 
and it's it's slowing down quite a bit. Her response times are getting longer. Yeah. Like you said, she's taking longer to answer. And then her level of consciousness is beginning to deteriorate. In right. fact, her uh, understanding of the world is beginning to deteriorate. So we use a Glasgow Coma Scale or a GCS scale mm-hmm. to tell me how alert a patient is. Mm-hmm. And normal, you and I, all of our listeners, a good portion who aren't like hopefully wine drunk in the bathtub right now well or, hey look i love it you can get wine drunk whenever you want you I support you, that drink on the porch i love it you're making a martini two o'clock in the afternoon you and me got a lot in common mm-hmm. your gcs is probably a 15 that's us that's mm-hmm. where we want it okay if you are confused and this is legitimate confusion like if i ask you where are you right now and you don't answer me right away and say the studio, but mm-hmm. you look around to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You're confused. Why are you confused by that? We didn't move rooms, dude. Right. Where are we? Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the other thing that we look for is how open her eyes are. So obviously I can't assess that's a nine one one call. Mm-hmm. And the last one is obeying commands and uh, the physical or motor functions of it. Of course, mm-hmm. the top scale on that is obeying commands. Yeah. The top scale on your eyes is that they are open all the time and you're alert. And then the middle one is clear speech. So if you have confused speech, you go down a peg. Yeah. If you have inappropriate responses to questions, you go down a peg. Okay. If you are inconsolable screaming and grunting, Mm -hmm. you go down a peg. And then not responding. Mm -hmm. She asked her a couple of questions. Yeah. And she was confused on how to answer them at the beginning. But by the end of it, she was responding inappropriately. Well. So that's a deteriorating level of consciousness her gcs is dropping and i could assume if i was in the room her eyeballs are probably closed and she's not really moving around a lot it sounded to me like god this is horrible to speculate but just based on the information that was present in the video it sounds like her mouth is touching the speaker of the phone doesn't it Uh, yeah so when i listen to it for some reason my imagination puts her laying on the floor and he's just called 911 and put it on speakerphone and laid it next to her face. Okay, but that's probably not true. It's probably not, but that's because, what I'm seeing in my brain. Well, just picking out based off the evidence mm-hmm. that was present in the video is she says, "Can you name your attacker?" and she says, "I can't." "Can you name your attacker?" Yeah, she I says I can't say. But I but Now, then she just asks a different question, like a good dispatcher. Yeah, yeah. Is he still there with you? Yeah. And he and answers. He answers. So he's so obviously got it on speakerphone and he's listening. It, it does seem like he has it on speakerphone. Now, if that's true, if he is the perpetrator holding the phone on speakerphone next to her face. With a gun in his hand. And has no compassion for her well-being whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. He has probably just set it on her face. But yeah. he didn't let go of it. Mm-hmm. So, that tells me she has no motor command or response. Yeah. So, that drops it again. Yeah. I would put her GCS anywhere between 13 and 11, just based off of not being able to see her. Just based off this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I almost forgot. The other good thing is the pain. The pain is good. Yeah. I know that sounds so horrible, but like when we take care of pediatric patients like babies, screaming babies, mm-hmm. bawling babies, my favorite babies. You know why? Because if you're screaming and you hate me, you're alive. And you have a heartbeat, and your lungs work great, and that's what I want. So, in this particular case, she can feel pain. So I know, just based off that, that it probably has not severed her brainstem Mm -hmm. or penetrated the cerebellum. 
I don't think any of that's true. I don't think it's in the actual brain tissue. I don't mm-hmm. think either one of those things are true because you could still feel pain. She's moaning. She's groaning. She's hurting. Yeah. If it penetrates any of those major portions of the brain, you won't get that response. The only thing that I can think of is that it hit her. This is just speculation. I do not know. I was not there. I did not read the report. But it sounds like the bullet struck her skull, mm-hmm. caused a crack or a break in that skull plate, mm-hmm. and now she's bleeding inward. Because a uh, cerebrovascular accident is what we call a stroke. And that roughly translates to blood touching the brain or a clot stuck in the brain that prevents blood from moving past it. So if she has a bleed, if blood is touching her brain tissue, that could explain her slurred speech and her paralysis. I I will say I let uh, an EMT friend listen to it. And she said, the first thing she said was, sounds like she had a stroke. That's the first thing she said. Well, then she is a very good EMT yeah. because I'm telling you right now, being able to identify a neurological deficit in a person that you've never met before is very difficult mm-hmm. because I don't know what her normal is. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I'm assuming yeah. that Mrs. Brittany Anderson had no previous stroke history or neurological yeah. deficits of any kind. Yeah. So if you go off that healthy, young lady, mm-hmm. eight kids, yeah, you ain't raising eight kids with a stroke. So that's not out. That's out. Yeah. She's normal just like me and you. And now she's slow, confused, slurred speech, mm-hmm. paralyzed, deteriorating LOC, elevated respiratory rate. But she can still remember her name. She can still remember her birthday. See, and that's different scales. So we actually okay. use two scales to determine how alert you are. I use what's called the A&O and the GCS. Mm-hmm. So the GCS is what we already talked about. That's a Glasgow right. coma scale. And the A&O bits are, are you alert to person, place, time, and event? Yeah. So she knows like, who she is. She Correct. knows who she is. She told them She knows name. where so she one. is. She knows where she is. Yeah. She's at home. Yeah. Okay, here's the crazy part, right? Yeah. So a cerebrovascular accident can lower your GCS without lowering your ANO. Okay. All right? Because she knows exactly what happened to her. That's right. the fourth one. That's the event. Yeah. can tell you what I do know is that I've touched a bunch of dead people and a bunch of alive people, and I've had to write reports on them, and I'm telling you right now, I would put that lady at ANO to 4 with a GCS between 13 and 11. Mm-hmm. Um, the only confusion that I would note is her inability to stay in the event yeah. because of her Just deteriorating kind of, yeah, level deteriorate, of consciousness. Yeah. We, we use that to measure your ability to process thought. Mm-hmm. I want to see if you're lit out of your mind on meth and you don't know if I have you know a regular face or a dragon face. Like That's mm-hmm. what I want to look at. Yeah. If I came into her apartment, scooped her up on a blanket or a mega mover and drug her outside and she saw it was dark, she would know in her mind if I said, honey, what time of day is it? She'd say it's nighttime. Boom. Now you're alert to time. Right. Where are we? You just picked me up in my apartment. Somebody shot me. All right, you still don't want to tell me? Great, fine. But you do know that you were shot. Another one, and it's so awful and it's going to tug your heartstrings, but she says, I can't hear all my kids. Right. I know. That one will rip your guts out. I don't get goosebumps very often, but like I literally tensed up when I heard that part. That one will rip your guts out, but it is an indicator that she's still in the present moment. Yeah. And even more importantly, remembers the previous moment. That is enough right there to tell me that she knows exactly who shot her. She knows exactly what happened before this happened. Yeah. And here's the worst one. Here's the one that I don't like at all. And this is just me assessing it as a, a medical professional. She says, I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. I'm dying. That is an actual assessment tool 
that we, I mean, well, it's an unofficial assessment tool, but it's an actual assessment tool that we use in the field uh, to indicate the patient's initiation of decompensated shock. And just to clarify real quick, compensated shock means that your body's trying to fix it. It's trying to fix what happened to you. And decompensated means you've given up. Okay. Your body has given up. That's correct. Your body has given up. All your defensive mechanisms have failed and you are circling the drain, so to speak. I got air quotes up when I'm doing that. Impending doom is a vocal preface to decompensated shock. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you could put 100 paramedics in a room and tell them you got an 85-year-old grandma that looks up at you and says, with great vitals, I think I'm about to die. And every single one of those would tell you the same thing. I'm going to stop talking to grandma and look at the monitor and see where her vitals are. Because that's them going, she knows. You can feel it. And it's called impending doom. Mm. And impending doom is a real thing that we listen for. Any paramedic worth this salt that's been on the street for long enough to know better, if they hear a patient say, I think I'm about to die. Yeah. They know that they're behind the eight ball. So these, whoever these heroes were that came in there and grabbed her yeah. up and got her to the hospital. She's she's going to be able, I don't know if you guys are listening. If you guys are listening, you're my heroes. You Muskogee guys that came in here and got this chick and put her on the stretcher and drove to the hospital and got blood all over your clothes. And you and did. saw what you saw. Dude, you did the thing. You did the thing. That. I don't think you understand that a traumatic injury in the field of, of, of this level of critical nature mm-hmm. has less than 10% survival rate. And if they go into arrest, it's less than 1%. Yeah. Uh, cardiac arrest, if they you know yeah. if their heart stops. It's less than 1% survival rate. And whoever these two, whoever these two fucking badasses were <laughs> that ran in and snatched this lady up and threw her in the cot and drove hot yeah. from Muskogee to a level one trauma center... Like a boss, these dudes need all the kudos. Yeah. Because that is a hard case. And I guarantee you, when she got in there, they were behind the eight ball. And they got there in less than nine minutes. That's all you want. Yeah. They got there in less than nine minutes. They snatched her up. By the way, our protocol is nine minutes and 59 seconds. So they were one minute away from being outside of just protocol standard issue. They still got to her. They snatched her up, threw in the truck, and they saved her life. Because I promise you. Just listening to that 911 call, two, three minutes on a call like that makes a difference. It makes all the difference. Yeah. An, a, a car in front of you that will not move out of the way can kill that patient. Yeah, so everybody <laughs> out there. I'm getting off my soapbox. Who but, doesn't freaking pull over I know, I'm kind of for bleeding, lights yeah, and sirens. I'm bleeding my own nonsense. But <laughs> what I mean is um, that pull that's the freak a, over. it's a difficult case where they've suffered a gnarly trauma to their head and brain pan and then you know you've got some poor you know lady or bystander lay person's holding pressure on it with like a dish towel or something and you Mm -hmm. go in there and you take over you put your hand over theirs and you hold the dish towel and then you take them out to the ambulance they're awake they're talking to you and this is just part of the job i need to see what i'm dealing with so i move the dish towel Mm -hmm. then a piece of her brain falls out and she dies immediately I mean, it's the worst possible injury that you can get for survivability. And it is an absolute miracle that she pulled on the other side of it. It sounds like she says on on multiple occasions, she, you know, the dispatcher says, who did this to you? And she says, I can't say. But then at, at another point, is your attacker there with you? Yes. Well, who is it? I can't say. So she knows what happened. She knows what happened to her. But it would be very simple in this case to prove that Mr. Pridgen 
is in fact the assailant. Yeah. Even without yeah. her testimony. Yeah. Just with that with 911 that call. With that 911 call, yeah. And if two, she had died... I just need two pieces of information. Yeah, if she had died, you could still yeah use that for sure. No, 100%. Yeah. So, He's an, holding the firearm in his hand. Yeah. And then... And, and speaking of that... I wanted to address something that we talk about later towards the end of this episode. Uh, we talk about um, a deprived child hearing where I'm going to say, I don't know what that entails. I don't know how many um, kids they had. Uh, as per this update, I know now that she had eight kids, eight. He says there's, there's eight kids. She says there's eight kids in the 911 call. And, um, Later reports say that there were three children still alive and unharmed. Oh, thank God. Yeah, in, in the house. Five children were deceased. So there were, in fact, eight children. So later, when you hear us talking about the deprived child hearing, it has to do with those three surviving children. Okay. So I know it's weird to, <laughs> to update an episode in the middle of the episode, but I got a hold of the 911 call and I thought it was important to put before the um, body cam footage. It's very important too because this is a yeah. rapidly developing story. We yeah. might come back and edit this episode again. And I will say that I have all of our evidence on the website in the case file section except for this 911 call because it doesn't allow me to update MP3s, which is weird. Well, that's because we can't do that here <laughs> but in 2022 so, where we live. It only lets me put files and pictures and videos, but not MP3s. So anyway, this 911 call is absolutely untouched. I did not edit it in any way. I didn't cut it down. I didn't. So it's eight and a half full minutes of a 911 call. We're just going to have to keep you updated. If he didn't do it. It is a exposition on the state of mental health in this country. And if he did do it, it's an exposition on the state of mental health in mm -hmm. this country. So this case did have police cam. Body cams. Uh, footage. Um, that has been re released, and if you want to see that, there's two videos. It is on the case files on our website. So it was cut down when they came in and they found the bodies. They cut that part out. Well, they're gonna. Um, I'm sorry, but they're gonna. Especially the babies. Come yeah. on. They cut. They cut that part out, and they just kind of moved forward to when they leave the residence and search for Jaron because he took off on foot. Love it. Uh, and and that cam footage is basically them finding him and apprehending him. Um, we show it to me. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there like a moment in this case where we thought Miss Anderson would recover? Uh, yeah. That so the difference in these cases is is there were two survivors of this incident. But she, didn't, Jaren, she obviously didn't survived. Uh, but Brittany Anderson did survive. She was taken out. She did survive. So See, six I deaths. Uh, seven lived. injured. One survived that had no injuries. That was Jaron. Okay, I'm on it. All right, let's take a look. Become a member of my own website, thanks to you. You're welcome. All right, load it up. Front door, front door. Put your hands up. Walk towards me. Turn around. 
I can't tell. Drop what's in your right hand slowly. Slowly put it down. He's running southbound. He's got a gun. Running southbound. He's got a gun. Southbound. Back to the way. Drop fired. Is he firing non-lethals? Because he just shot immediately. That's not good. Show us your hands! Where's he at, Leach? Where's he at? Show me your hands! Compact, north side. No. Show us your hands! Walk this way with your hands up! Walk this way with your Walk hands up! Walk this way with your hands up! Walk backwards! Keep walking! North side of Pleasant Valley. Do not lower your hands! Keep them up! Keep walking backwards with your hands in the air. Do not reach for anything. Keep going. Keep going. We can put them up wherever Healy, come over here. Okay. We're good. We can open here. Who's got? Gilly, you got hands? Keep we, walking backwards. We can put them out if there's nothing open. Drop down to your knees. Do not move. Don't move. What's your name? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Don't move. Okay. You can see blood on his pants right there. Yeah, yeah. Can I say something? Small the house, man. Uh, my baby mama, my kids, and my brother. What's your brother's name? So, baby mama, brother, and kids? How many kids are in there? Eight. Bro, can y'all please take these kids right now, please? I know this will sound weird and stuff, but please watch over y'all kids, man. Real shit. Kids in the, house. the government is fucking us up, man. Okay. What's your name? James. Who? James. James what? James Who? James Pridgen. I can't understand you. Pridgen. Pridgen? Yeah. Somebody in that house was screaming when we drove by it. The government. Or run by it. What's your name again? Jaren. Jaren? Pridgen. Pridgen. That house with the van. You can see first responders hey, pulling up here. We do meditation. Seven chakras. Real shit. Seven chakras. These blocked all the way. Okay. I know I sound crazy, man. But just do it, please. Seven chakras. 514. See if you can find anything on a Jaren Pridgen. I can't imagine what those first responders are thinking going up to that house. That's what somebody's screaming at. He's exhibiting. So that was the video. Um, you just heard some of, I, I cut it down for time. If you want to watch the rest of it, go to our website um, under case files. And also, I'm sorry if it was a little jarring. There was a lot of noise, a lot of things going on. Possibly, I'm very sorry about that. Anyway. Excellent police work. First of all, just even just from what I saw, 
They gave clear, concise instructions. Over and over and over. <laughs> they do that. I'm sorry, but they do. They do it over and over and over. I will. I mean, if if I'm there, and you heard one of the guys say, "You do that, I'll talk. Mm-hmm. You focus, I'll talk." Mm-hmm. The man talking, that's all he's doing is talking. He's doing that over and over and over. He's saying, "Walk backwards towards me. Keep your hands up. Do not lower your hands. Don't reach for anything. Do not move." down on your knees those clear concise instructions are to keep everyone safe yeah because i promise you mr bridgen if you're listening to this from jail (laughs) if you had chosen that moment to scratch your nose yeah this would be a very different podcast they do that because it's an intense moment I'm going home at the end of my shift. Yeah. This dude's going home at the end of his shift because he did that perfectly. That was a perfect catch. Um, like I said, you don't, you don't, you probably don't know the entire context of what you're hearing. If you really want to know what you're hearing and put some visuals with it, jump on our website, uh, thesirenspodcast.com/slash/casefiles. He's exhibiting nonsensical. Uh, well, I wouldn't say nonsensical, but non-applicable. So we see that a lot. Uh, actually, most commonly, you'll see this uh, exact behavior with methamphetamine-induced psychosis. Mm. Um, now, I'm, I'm, of course, in no way stating that he is or is not, because there's no way to know without a blood test whether or not he's under the influence. Yeah. But that behavior is commonly exhibited in other subjects who are experiencing methamphetamine psychosis, and it's non-applicable statements. Like, for example, they ask him, where's the gun? He says, I threw it up over there. Mm-hmm. And then he immediately says, can I say something real quick? In his mind, as disoriented as it is, the most important thing is for him to tell the officer that's arresting him to watch the government. That's an inapplicable statement. Yeah. And then he repeats it several times. Then he goes into some spiritual meditative seven chakras nonsense, and he repeats that statement several mm-hmm. times. You have to remember, in that moment... His mind is experiencing a disassociation from what is real and what is happening to what he believes to be the most important information he could share with that officer. So we check as paramedics for four things. um, It's called checking your mentation. I want to see if your mentation is at baseline. You and I, we're at baseline. Mm -hmm. Kind of. We have a kid. (laughs) And, and let me tell you something. That'll take you out of baseline real quick. Oh, but, but our our mentation is at baseline. It's normal. We can assess the world around us in its reality. And the best way to tell if you are capable of doing that from our very limited medical scope is four things. We check to see if you are alert to self, place, time, and events. So if I ask you, what is your name? You would say Raven Rollins. If I say, where are we? You would say, in, well, my, we're, in my office, we're in, we're in the office. We're in the studio. We're recording. Right. If I say, what year is it? 1942. There it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's that quick. Yeah. If, or, or, or you could say 2022 I'd and say then I 2022. could say, what holiday are we about to celebrate? And Christmas. You say Valentine's Day. <laughs> if you say Christmas, then I know we're off a little bit. If you say 4th of July, I know we're off a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are some people that do the A and O questions rather quick. Mm-hmm. Who are you? Raven, where are we? Tulsa, what year is it? 2022. And then for the event question, 
it's very common practice to ask someone who the president of the United States is. Yeah. That one's easy. Yeah. That tells me you know what's going on around you. For people who you have no reason to suspect have lost their mentation, that's enough. Yeah. In this case, it's not. Right. In this case, you could say, do you know what's happening right now? I'm under arrest. Do you know why? Because the government, man, they're out to get me. There it is. No, my man. Mr. Prison, you are under arrest for the murders of fucking six people, dude. You're going to prison for the rest of your life. Do you understand that? You got to meditate, dude. Okay, now I know this man has suffered a decrease or a disassociation in his mentation. Well, and we were already concerned about his mental health. Remember, those records were sealed. We're already concerned about his mental health prior to that. So just my brief assessment from that video, if his toxicology report was completely free and clear. Which I don't know what it was. And here's the thing about this case. All the things we're talking about that I say I don't know, it's because it hasn't been released yet. Because, again, this case has yet to go to trial. Uh, Because this happened... And 2021 and then the pandemic and all this stuff and and some things get pushed back they're still gathering evidence all of these different things so it, it hasn't gone to trial a bunch of evidence hasn't been released um i will for sure keep you updated on what's happening in this trial right here on this episode as i update it you'll see just come back every now and then and, and check on this episode and you'll see if there's maybe an update at the end um but yeah so i'd be very curious to know what's in his toxicology report because if it is free and clear, and, and of course I am assuming it has to be, you can't just assume someone's on drugs, that's bad medicine. So if his toxicology report is free and clear, I would state that this man at the very least has a disassociative disorder, most commonly miscategorized as paranoid schizophrenia. A disassociative disorder could be any number of psychoses. For example, you could be totally and completely normal mentally you could have no disorders whatsoever but your disassociation is that you can never not wear socks and then if i ask you about it you go oh well because of you know the bug people that live in the floor uh-huh. oh there it is there, yeah. okay yeah, yeah yeah what do you do for a living i'm an air traffic controller Ooh. i have one of the most oh, intense jobs God. in the entire world <laughs> like i can handle it i can do what needs yeah. to be done i just gotta have my socks on man yeah because the bug yeah. people you know about that it's no big deal so, he was obviously showing signs of some sort of I disorientation. Would, I would absolutely state that he has disassociative triggers. There are so many identifiers just in those short... What, what were those videos? Three minutes, if that? Uh, each one was a, around two minutes, two and a half minutes. So, yeah. So, in, just in that brief amount of time, you can yeah. absolutely tell that he has a dissociative dysfunction. Well, and you really only see him... Like, you get to talking to him in that last video, and that one was like two minutes, so... He cannot correlate the gravity of the now yeah. with what he believes to be the most important thing. Right. In in That is an indicator of an altered mentation. Now, of course, you take him into the emergency room. They're going to ask him who the president is. He's A&O to four. They'll kick him out. But that man was suffering a dissociative take. Any mentally trained professional would tell you that those repetitive statements and that disassociation between the gravity of this situation and what he believes is the most important. They, they would tell you that that's a dissociative dysfunction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and and I, I feel like with this case, the reason why it's taking longer to get to trial, not to mention the pandemic, but because they have to evaluate him mentally. Sure. For this. And they're going to have... That may or may not be 
pertinent. I guess it'll just depend on the attorney. It'll it depend. Will. We'll have to see. We'll We're have really to see have where to it see. goes. Uh, let me ask you about Miss Anderson. Okay. Yeah, she, she suffered some pretty intense injuries. She did. Um, but so far as we know, recovered. Again, I'm not sure exactly where she was shot. I do know she was shot. I don't know where. I don't know how. I don't know how many times. Again. So, but I do know that she has, as of now, made a full recovery. So we're fully recovered. Fully recovered. However, the only thing that I know that she has told the police so far is that she... She does not know who shot her. It it came out of nowhere. Um, and that... So she couldn't identify Jaren as the person who actually shot her. Sure. But she did say that she overheard him, as she was lying on the ground, say, I shouldn't have done that. Well, that's not good. So uh, that those are the only statements I know of so far. All right. Um, because she is the only witness in this case now... Uh, so they probably are keeping her statements at a minimum in preparation for trial. They probably are. I truly hope that she saw more than that statement, and I hope she takes this guy down. I mean, Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. Uh, I was telling you yesterday or whatever. Um, this guy, I mean, I don't think that she's protecting him in any way. I, I don't. Uh, because you just took five of my kids. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. And I will eat your face off with my teeth, with my bare teeth. If you took five of my children, if I did that five times and you took them from me, no, I'd be unstoppable. The only reason that he's alive is because he's in jail. I can tell you. Oh, you know what? Let me just say that that might be why that is her statement. You know what? I don't really remember who did it. Am I free to leave? I'm just saying. Uh, what are those devices they used to use in like the 20s for laundry? <laughs> oh the like God. roller things? Can we just put them in no. that and just go to the Flatten face? I don't know. I mean... HIPAA, super fun rule we've been talking about this whole episode, right? Yeah. Did you know that it does not apply in the sense that we believe that it may or may not lead to the harm of someone else? Uh, I think I talked about that in a previous episode. So if you tell me that you are, if you get into my ambulance and you tell me that you're suicidal, I am allowed to write a third party statement to put you on an emergency order of detention to save you from yourself. Yeah. I cannot share that information with anyone except the people directing your care. Right. So that third party statement goes to the nurse or doctor, whoever's in charge of you. So if an LMHP comes in and assesses that you are no longer a threat to yourself, they let you go. That's fun, right? Now, if you get in my truck and I ask you if you're suicidal and you say, no, I'm not, but I'm having a psych day. And I say, okay, let's talk about it. And you go, well, it's no big deal, but I got this gun I had in my pocket the whole time because nobody checked me. Oh, no. And I just kind of want to kill somebody today. Oh, my God. Can I see it for a second? Oh, yeah, sure. And they hand it to you and you put it in the safe. Then you go, can I ask you a question? Yeah. You said you just wanted to kill somebody see what it's like. Anybody particular in mind? Oh, no. And they go, no, not really. Just whoever I make eye contact with next, I'm going to murder them. Which could have been you. Could have been me. (laughs) So, yeah, that's the thing. At that point, I can go, dope, dope, dope. Sounds tight. Sounds tight. Hey, are you allergic to anything? And they go, no. And I go, do you have any other medical history? And they're like, well, I'm diagnosed psychotic. Sounds fun. Take meds on a daily basis? Oh, yeah. Take, you know, Seroquel or whatever to keep me from thinking all these thoughts. 
Yeah. Then I can go, sounds good, buddy. Hey, let me grab my laptop because I'm going to do some paperwork to get you over to the hospital. Which one do you use? Oh, I use whatever, St. Bohemian. Sounds fantastic. Open the door. Officer? Yeah. Can you handcuff this dude to the bed so he doesn't murder me? He told me he wanted to murder someone. At that point, HIPAA means nothing. If I believe you are a danger to others, I can immediately tell whoever I want. So here's the thing about that, is that they sealed his initial mental health assessment. Yeah. Okay, but then the defense is going to plan to open that? Um, probably. I mean, it's going to depend. So if he had proclivities in that mental health assessment that allude to the possibility that later in life he could murder, then his mental health professional had a responsibility to tell someone. Mm -hmm. And they didn't because the record was sealed. Right. So if the mental health professional, that's why I'm very interested to see how this plays out. If his mental health assessment doesn't say, oh, yeah, he could have murdered. He has this or whatever. He has murder syndrome where you murder once a day. <laughs> like, if he didn't if he didn't tell someone that, then I bet it won't hold up in court. It probably won't. And like I said, it's, it's going to depend on what route of a defense that his defense attorneys want to take. It's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on that assessment as well. Yeah. Because a complete disassociative disorder, that... That can make you unfit for trial. Uh, and and the thing about it, too, is that prosecution could find a way to completely throw out all mental health just for the simple, to, to hold them accountable without the mental health stuff. So They I got mean, a long road in front of them because yeah, there's a yeah. lot of hurdles to and, jump with that. And this is another reason why I'm always so hesitant to talk about a case on here that has not been resolved. And when I say resolved, I mean... Brittany Anderson gets out of the hospital and shoots him twice in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I yeah. very much hope happens. Yeah. So, I mean, I, but but there were so many similarities. And, and three of those kids I, uh, were his. So three kids were his three, and two were his brothers. And he were, killed yeah. his brother. And he killed his brother, yeah. So it's a I mean, terrible case. I can't imagine what those responders went through. First of all, big shout out to that police department for an excellent capture. It, yeah, they literally handled that textbook. You could use that video to train. That was perfect. So, um, so he he was charged. Just to go over the charges real quick. I know I mentioned it before, but we're also going to talk about the charges related to Brittany. So there were six charges for first degree murder there was the assault and battery with a deadly weapon there was um the possession of firearms he was on probation at the time and then the charges related to Brittany. so it was initially filed as shooting with intent to kill that was my first thought shooting with intent to kill right. um but it was later amended to assault and battery with a dangerous weapon uh which is the felony by the way um really is it <laughs> yeah threatening to perform an act of violence because of the statement that she heard. That's also a felony. And then malicious injury to property, which is a misdemeanor. I don't know what that has to do with, but I'm sure we'll learn about it in the future. But I literally can't wait. I will be holding on to this episode. It'll so, be in my favorites. I want to just um, talk about... Um, You're way prettier than your pictures, by the way. <laughs> I want to talk about what the defense attorney said and what the prosecution said uh, before we 
you know, before they start the trial. So defense attorney Gretchen Mosley argued uh, that a, quote, reasonable theory of innocence exists with regard to allegations that Pridgen killed the children. She acknowledged that the evidence could lead a person to a reasonable interference that Pridgen killed Lee, his brother, uh, but said that her client has, quote, some real mental health issues. So that's 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 what is telling me that they're going to go that route. Can you imagine how much she knows about that? I watched two, two and a half minute long videos. I saw five minutes of this dude and I knew he was crazy. So she's probably been locked in a room with this dude for hours. This this next quote, I'm just going to sum it up because it's kind of long, but the next thing she ba- she says, basically she says, who's to say that Javarian Lee, the brother, did not shoot and kill the children? And then when Jaron saw what was happening, he tried to stop his brother and ended up getting the gun from him and shooting and killing him. What is the probability of that being true? It's going to, I mean, not. What do we know about, <laughs> no. what do we know about Javarian? I, um, Did he have a litany of mental health I, issues? Probably I, not. I will say that in, in the photo that I showed you of him and the children. Sure. He was very well put together. I don't know what he did. Um, My Baron was wearing Crocs and socks when he got arrested. <laughs> I don't know what he did career wise or whatever, but I know that he was wearing a suit. That he was looking good. Like he's, hey, he was a good looking dude. Can too. I tell you a secret? So, so, okay, the defense attorney is stating that Javarian Lee perpetrated every single one of the acts of violence up to his death, wherein Jaron Pridgen took the firearm away and then shot him and murdered him. Yeah. Uh, but she does not, she doesn't bring Brittany, the mother, into that statement at all in any way. Can so we, I don't know. I don't know what she thinks happened there. I don't either. I I, I know that she's going to say whatever she can to keep someone from well, yes, well okay. making making a snap judgment. Yes. Yeah, so so that is what I was about to say. Um, I think that she has given two alternate things here. She she's she's talked about the mental health issue, and she then she gave an alternate theory. And what she's doing here, I believe, is is she is already trying to create reasonable doubt. Well, yeah, she's wanting you to go, hey, yeah. uh, before you watch those two videos that we've got here, buddy, <laughs> yeah. don't blame yeah. my guy just because he's being put in handcuffs and ran from the cops with a gun in his hand. Don't right. blame him. Right. You don't know the whole story, right. which is fine because we don't. That's what I love about the justice system in this country. Uh, and we, we don't will. Know the whole story. When the trial happens, we will. Um, but district the district attorney remained adamant that Pridgen was criminally responsible, pointing to testimony from the surviving mother. That'll do it. So, um, he was also the only adult in the home, the only person that made it out uninjured. Let me ask you some dimensions questions a lot of people don't think about. Uh, How tall is Jaron Pridgen? He was like 6'1", I think. Because in that video, it looked like he weighed maybe a buck 80. Yeah. What about Javarian Lee? Oh, he he was pretty stocky, actually. He was a big old boy. Yeah, yeah, and and I do have pictures of both of them um, in the case files on the website, so you can go and, and look there. So you're um, telling me, Jaron? Yeah, I don't think took that took a gun no. away from that giant I, man. Yeah, suffered no injury. <laughs> that's yeah, that's what I'm saying. I do not believe that. No, no, 
Jaron had a deferred sentence from all that previous stuff. And uh, there was a district judge that after all this happened, he just went ahead and accelerated it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He... uh, I hate to bring this up, but we did tell you not to murder. Yeah. And you murdered. (laughs) I I know, right? So we're going to go ahead and put you in jail (laughs) on this parking ticket you didn't pay in 2004. No, it it was from the assault. There was the assault and battery. Oh, right, right, right. It was, yeah, it was deferred. So no matter what, you go in jail, big shooter. So he accelerated his three-year deferred sentence in that case to a 10-year prison sentence. (laughs) <laughs> so no matter what, this guy's sitting behind bars. No yes. matter what. Yeah. Yeah. For at least 10 years. And that, and that gives them time to put their case together. Anyway. We got a lot of time on this case. We got yeah. a lot of developments that are still going to come out of it. And it makes my heart sing. It's, it does say here. That this dude's sitting behind bars while we wait. I love it. It does say here that um, he got that deferred sentence because of the mental health evaluation. Oh, really? So that's, I mean, we don't know what's in the mental health evaluation. That leads me to believe that it's a more serious dissociative disorder. Yeah. That That leads me to believe that he may not be fit for trial. So we'll have to see what comes of it. Um, But the judge reiterated his decision to block journalists. Here's the thing about this case. So speculative. It's driving me nuts. I need to know. I need to know everything. Here's the thing about this. And I think it's because of the five children that the judge decided to do it this way. But he's trying to keep it as much out of the media as he can. Good call. Good call. So I'm probably not going to have an update for you for a while uh, because it, it... is probably going to have to be a said and done kind of thing because the judge made a decision to block journalists and other spectators from even listening to evidence in the case. And I mean, that's you. Yeah, that's me. That's, <laughs> that's <you>. me. <laughs> to block Raven Rollins yeah. from this case. <laughs> he had closed nearly all proceedings to anyone who was not directly involved with the case. You are directly involved in the podcast. <laughs> Can you, does that going to work? You he he told the uh, defense attorney it was because he had agreed also to hear evidence on um, some sort of deprived child matter that was uh, related to a surviving child. So I guess... So I guess Jaron bunch of problems. I guess Jaron had more than just the three kids that maybe another child was off somewhere else with someone else, but it is a surviving child and they have a deprived child matter case on that and this just has to hear that. So there's a bunch of kids involved. There's a lot of that going around. And, and it's the right thing to do. It, it I'm sorry, is, yeah. I know that you know, as fans of this genre, there's a lot of people that want to be up to date. And of course the natural human condition to follow a case when it goes out like this. But it's just the right thing to do. Let these kids yeah. rest. They don't know any better. They don't deserve this circus I parade. mean, he already blocked um, reporters from listening to the defense attorney's arguments. Um, that was like 10 minutes before she, for, um, she reported that he denied them a, mm. a motion. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And it says surviving children. I don't know how many other children there are. Never under- it could be Javarian's, it could be Jaren's, it could be Brittany's, I don't know. Never underestimate the ability or capability of a person to reproduce. So the, the uh, defense attorney did say, quote, I noted that obviously, you know, he could protect the inter- interests of the children by having the deprived hearing separately, and that can be conducted privately according to state law. And then we could proceed with the preliminary hearing. And he just said he's thought about it a lot. He wasn't going to do that, so he's planning to proceed. 
I guarantee you it's because of the other children that it, are yeah. victims in this case. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. just the right thing to do. It yeah. is. It's a good call. Um, And, they're, and like, any time anybody asks them to comment on this, they just decline to comment. And, and so it's a very elusive case. Man, can I just dote on you for a minute? This is a Me? good... Yeah. On Why? You. One, you're amazing. <laughs> Two... You're very, <laughs> you're very amazing. You're uh, you're very pretty. Uh, you can't see that on the podcast, guys. But trust me, she's hotter than donut grease. Okay. All right, but what I mean is, you picked this episode perfectly. You got a a a, a love triangle right in this. I know that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, it's a love triangle, multiple murder. I mean, that's yeah. Can't get any better than that. You said when we started, you didn't know why this was a Valentine's episode. That's <laughs> a good one, man. <laughs> yeah, love triangle gone wrong. Love triangle turned into a multiple murder. Here is the part that no one's going to be able to reconcile: is why the children had to die. I don't know. And I'm telling you, it's stuck in that file, that sealed medical mental health assessment. I don't know. It's in there. Yeah, I'm telling you. Uh, I do want to take just one minute. And really let these kids' names rest in your ears. Uh, just in these two cases that we just talked about, that's eight children who were taken for seemingly no reason whatsoever, had their lives extinguished far too soon. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna tell you give their names. I want you to just take them in. Cadence, nine years old. Nevaeh, six years old. Harmony, five years old. Ebony, four years old. Jadis, three years old. Essence, two years old. Jalea, one year old. And then Marjona, eight months old. We just ran down from six, five, four, three, two, one, under one, and a nine year old. Why? Finally, thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. Two. I know. I've banned you before now. It's true. I wasn't allowed to do anything but come into this room and drop off snacks <laughs> and then leave as quickly as I came. But then I realized that uh, that you have a lot of valuable insights with the job that you do. I mean, I don't know about all that. I do. But I can tell you this. Ladies and Less commonly, but still prominently, men, if you find yourself in a relationship that has gone from not working socially to not working physically, if the level of discordance escalates, leave. No amount of time spent with a person translates to a quality of relationship that is not true. I don't care if you've been together 60 years. If you spent 60 years punching each other in the face, it was a bad relationship. Yeah. Leave. I can tell you this with absolute certainty. Abusive relationships end one of two ways. You leave or you die. There's mm. no middle. Yeah. I've run too many of those calls. If you're curious how many, in a 12-hour day, I run between 6 and 15 911 calls, just depending on what they are. I work five to six days a week and I've done it for six years I can tell you with absolute certainty that that's the only two way that this can end you either leave or you die yeah 
Domestic violence is not a joke, and there's not enough being done about it to end it. You have to end it. Yeah. Until we can get better resources and better laws in place, you're the answer. Pick up your things, put your kids in the car, and go. If you can't get away, call 911. Someone like me, or if you live in Tulsa, it could be me, will show up and I will do everything that I can to help you get out of that situation. And I know there are hundreds of first responders, thousands of first responders that think just like I do. On average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. During one year, this equates to more than 10 million women and men. One in four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner contact sexual violence, and or intimate partner stalking with impacts such as injury, fearfulness, post-traumatic stress disorder, use of victim services, contraction of sexually transmitted diseases, or etc. One in three women and one in four men have experienced some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. This includes a range of behaviors, slapping, shoving, pushing, and in some cases might not be considered domestic violence. One in seven women and one in 25 men have been injured by an intimate partner. One in 10 women have been raped by an intimate partner. Data is unavailable on male victims. One in four women and one in seven men have been victims of severe physical violence, beating, burning, strangling by an intimate partner in their lifetime. One in seven women and one in 18 men have been stalked by an intimate partner during their lifetime to the point in which they felt very fearful or believed that they or someone close to them would be harmed or killed. On a typical day, there are more than 20,000 phone calls placed to domestic violence hotlines nationwide. The presence of a gun in a domestic violence situation increases the risk of homicide by 500%. Intimate partner violence accounts for 15% of all violent crime. Women between the ages of 18 to 24 are most commonly abused by an intimate partner. 19% of domestic violence involves a weapon. Domestic victimization is correlated with a higher rate of depression and suicidal behavior. Only 34% of people who are injured by their intimate partners receive medical care for their injuries. 19.3 million women and 5.1 million men in the United States have been stalked in their lifetime. 60% of female stalking victims and 43% of men reported being stalked by a current or former intimate partner. Among felony assaults, defendants charged with family violence in state courts, 84% had at least one prior arrest for either a felony or a misdemeanor, not necessarily for family violence, and 73% have been previously convicted of some type of felony or misdemeanor, not necessarily family violence. A study of intimate partner homicides found that 20% of victims were not the intimate partners themselves, but family members, friends, neighbors, or persons who intervened, law enforcement responders, or bystanders. 
of the nearly 500,000 men and women in state prisons for a violent crime in 1997, 15% were there for a violent crime against a family member. About 90% of offenders in state prisons for family violence had injured their victim. 28% of the victims of family violence were killed. 72% of all murder-suicides involve an intimate partner. 94% of the victims of these murders are female. 1 in 15 children are exposed to intimate partner violence each year, and 90% of these children are eyewitnesses to the violence. Among incidents of parents killing their children, 19% involved one parent killing multiple victims. If you are in need of support for domestic violence, you can go to www.thehotline.org where you can live chat, you can text START to 88788 or call 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or, of course, you can always call 911. You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?